Welcome back. Thank you. Feels good to be back. We have been engaged in a series looking at the Ten Commandments. And I just want to remind you the reason they were written is why. It's so that we can live free. Everything else puts us in bondage. Any other kind of idol, any other kind of philosophy, any other kind of lifestyle puts us in bondage. But the reason these exist is so that we can live free. I want you to take God's word, and before we look at Exodus 20, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4. I'll get there in a moment. And if you've been following the news this past week, even if you haven't followed the news, you probably heard what's been going on with the Supreme Court. They're ruling on same-sex marriage. Opinions are all over the place. Everything's changed, and yet nothing has changed. The gospel's still the gospel. Marriage is still marriage, according to God. I mean, just because a Supreme Court and a country decide to change the definition doesn't change marriage in God's eyes. We live in a fallen world. That hasn't changed, has it? And the church is still called to be salt and light. We are transformers of people. A few weeks ago, a woman who claimed to be black, they found out she was white by the name of Rachel, has now declared that she is transracial. Well, doesn't that fit the whole philosophy where we're going? Now, I'm always fascinated with polls. I'd like to know where they take these polls at. The poll says that 71% of the people are okay with that designation. And if you've been following the news, it's what I call progressive insanity. (laughs) But it should not shock us. In the Old Testament, we're living with the book of Judges. Remember that key phrase in the book of Judges? It's found in the beginning of the book, found at the end of the book. It says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Romans 1, New Testament. It talks about although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. It says, therefore, God gave them up to lust in their heart. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to base minds. And the last phrase of that says this. Although they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Now, when I say that, realize sin equals what? Death. Death. All sin leads to death. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So what is our response? What should the church do? Now, you know what Israel's typical response was to everything that happened around them? Two predominant responses. They murmured and complained. And today, I've discovered that there are plenty people today who are equal opportunity complainers. (laughs) Everything and everyone. And you know, negative people can always find a problem in every solution. That's just their nature. Think about that for a while. You'll get it later. What's our response? Our response always is grace and truth. And I'm going to talk more about that later because so often we either do truth or grace. Our response is being hearers and doers. Let's be honest about the church. The last 50 years, 
We've been arguing about music preferences, Bible translations, and other non-eternal issues, and we have taken our eyes off the mission. I lived in the middle of the same-sex community in 1975 in San Francisco, and I can tell you, during that year, the church was absent. They were not helping those struggling with sexual identity to find Christ. They were hoping that they would just disappear and would exist. And I remind you that light shines brightest when it's most dark. Now, Mark chapter 4. I want to begin here this morning really to set the context for what we're getting at. It'll be on the screen, but you can follow with me. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, you know, it's fascinating to me. We always try to get crowds. Christ was always trying to get away from crowds. They took him with, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Fascinating phrase. Don't have time to unpack that, but can I say this? We always need to take Jesus just as he is. We don't try to mold him into our image. We don't try to make him into one of our little gods. We don't try to get Jesus to suit the way we want to think and live. We should take Jesus just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? It was just before this, he talked about having the faith of a grain of a mustard seed. If you have that much, you could move mountains. And they were filled with great fear or great awe and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey? Got a question for you this morning as we begin. What or who do I fill my life with? What or who do I fill my life with? What I choose to revere all. Remember Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What I choose to revere or all or fear will determine what I believe and what I see, experience. If you want to reverse the process, take what you see and what you believe and it will tell you who your idol is or who your God is. But the lesson I want you to think about here this morning is in this context where the great storm, they were afraid, what did they do? They went to Jesus. What's our response to what's been happening? We always go where? We always go to Jesus. So our response to what we call the current insanity, we shine Jesus. We do it with grace and truth. We do it unapologetically and lovingly. Why? Because his desire for us and everyone else is to live free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The Ten Commandments were written to a group of people who were enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. And he went to the wilderness to set them free and gave them these parameters that if you really truly want to live free, this is the rule book. This is what you have to follow. So that brings us to our study in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 13. It's a really long verse. 
Actually, it's comprised in the Hebrew of two words. You realize the Bible was written in Hebrew, right? At least the Old Testament. It wasn't written in English or the king's English or the queen's English or any other kind of English. It was written in Hebrew. There's two words. You shall not murder. In fact, the translation is murder, no murder. Three, actually two words, one repeated twice. Now, in the Old Testament, there's eight different kinds of words used for killing. I know some translations say, thou shalt not kill. That's probably not a good translation because some people today have taken that saying, well, you shouldn't hunt, you shouldn't do anything because that's killing. We are talking about a very specific kind of killing. And murder fits that more realistically. Now, it's pretty simple. Two words. And when you have two words in a verse, both are very meaningful. Two words, it's simple, yet it's complicated. We're talking about the question of who lives and who dies. That's really what this commandment deals with. So what does God mean? Now let me create a few observations just to stimulate your thinking about how complicated this is. Is the following murder? Accidental death. A soldier who kills somebody in a just war. Now, if you don't know what just war theory is, there's nine qualifications. I'm not going to get into that. Augustine presents that. If you want to know my position, I'm a just war theorist, that God uses nations to do that. But that's a whole nother sermon. What about a police officer returning fire? Yes or no? Is that what God means? No murder. What about death penalty? Infanticide. Physician-assisted suicide, terrorism, yes or no. I mean, do you see how complicated this gets? Now, I think the first question we have to ask this morning is, why is murder wrong? Why this command out of the ten placed here? Now, let's first address our culture for a moment. We live in a culture that has what's called situational ethics. What that means is God is not at the center. And if God's not at the center, then we are at the center. So we shift morality based on what is politically correct, convenient, popular, call it whatever you want. We had a prime example of that with the Supreme Court this past week. They made a cultural decision. And in situational ethics, if you don't go along with one's controlling conversation, then they bully you. You're called names, you're given labels. Before you have any conversation, they just impose upon you a specific name because you do not agree with their thinking. Now, we, we call this evolutionary thinking, and here's how it goes. PETA is a prime example of that. If you don't know who PETA is, it's people for the ethical treatment of animals. And their mission statement goes this way. A pig is a rat, is a dog, is a boy. They believe that life is life, period. There's no distinction between any living thing. Now, i got to tell you, I love dogs. We had one. He had three legs. We called him Tripod. <laughs> if our house was on fire and I had a choice to rescue my children or Tripod, I'm not going to flip a coin over that one. Why? Because people are image bearers. We uniquely are created in the image of God. We talked about that with the first and second and third commands. 
And when you do violence against a person, it is against God who made them. That is why murder is wrong. But we have this whole evolutionary thinking that muddles that. And it's moved into the church. We have evolutionary theology. It's called progressive revelation. And they say, well, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the Old Testament. We worship Christ in the New Testament. And Christ would never do those things that God did in the Old Testament. They say it's all about grace and love. God doesn't do it the way he used to. All those stories of wars and violence. We live in a new day, a new revolution. And this is the argument that allows the forward thinking around the whole LGBT community. But see, here's the truth according to Scripture. And this is truth according to what we call as sin. When you think about Bruce Jenner, because he is kind of the model right now of transgenderism. All the recognition and affirmation, all the photo shoots and people declaring that Bruce Jenner is courageous will not fill the emptiness he has in his soul. Bruce needs Christ. He's a fallen person just like you and I. And all sin separates us. And all sin leads to death. And for people that desire to use the progressive theological arguments, we got to remember what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What we have to realize is that this command, murder is a demonic issue. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus says these words, you are of your father, the devil. Now, who was he talking to? He was talking to the religious leaders of his day. He was talking to the people that claimed they worshiped Yahweh and Jehovah. He was talking to the people that studied the Old Testament that said, this is the way that if you're going to be a follower of God, you have to live. But somewhere they got off the track and it not, didn't become about God. It became about them. And it was more cultural than it was biblical. He says, you are your father of the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has, and has nothing to do with truth. And he was exposing their murderous hearts because he knew that they wanted to kill him. Violating this command in the Old Testament, they claimed that they worshiped. See, the truth is God makes life. Satan takes life. Truth is God sets people free. Satan enslaves and murders people. And he's called an angel of light. His desire is to make murder look like it's the right thing to do. But the truth is that more, the more I move away from God and his word, the closer I move to the prince and power of this world, and the more prone I am to murder. See, the Bible talks about two kingdoms. We sang about the one kingdom this morning. There's the kingdom of this world that includes nations and leaders. There's the kingdom of God. That's the church. God works sovereignly in both. But God expects his church to live out the kingdom of God while physically living in the kingdom in this world. And what we're seeing today is increase in murder and violence. When you study some of the sociological effects in Baltimore since the incident charging the five police officers... Murder is up 300% in that city. See, our culture wants to blame it on what? 
Guns. Take away the guns, we'll stop the murder. Got news for you. Guns do not make people violent. Two brothers, first in their creation, Cain and Abel. What happens? Cain murders Abel. See, murder is a heart issue. We like to blame other things, but we're refusing to look at our hearts. We somehow think if we change the definition, if we take away the toys, it'll stop the violence. I ran across some statistics this past week with the FBI. They talk about weapons that people use to murder in the United States. Hammers, clubs, and fists are the weapons of choice in America when it comes to murder. In fact, hammers, clubs, and fists murder twice as many people. Twice as many people are beaten to death in America than shot with a gun. Now, if you follow our logic, take away the guns, what do we do? Well, I guess we should take away hammers, baseball bats, and cut everyone's hands off so they can't grip anything. Now, remember what I said about who or what do we fill our lives with? We're told that by the time a child is 18, through TV, through video games and movies, they're exposed to 80,000 murders. Now, we say that's not real. But may I suggest, it's just a suggestion, that watching 80,000 murders, it may have a desensitizing effect on two areas. One area is the sanctity of life, that all life is sacred, and the horror of murder. How many people have ever read the story called The Emperor's New Clothes? Raise your hand. Okay. You know, it's a story about a king who, through his own vanity, had these clothing makers make a very sophisticated outfit that only people who were worthy could see it. And that would expose people who were unworthy. Of course, he was being conned. And he went out in a parade wearing nothing but his birthday suit. And the crowd was conned into believing that he was actually had something on, except for a little boy who states the obvious. May I suggest that in America today, we are being conned. I'll take that as an amen. We are being conned by politicians, by universities, by judicial courts. And what we need is a little boy, and his name's Jesus, is to state the obvious. Now, let me state the obvious when it comes to murder. 20th century was one of the most bloodiest in human history. Four men were guilty of orchestrating 127 million murders. Hitler, Stalin, Mao, and Lenin. That's two-thirds of the population of the United States. Now, you understand that according to Scripture, and this is why the Ten Commandments are progressive, if we refuse to bow down and have the Lord our God as the only God, according to Scripture, when God is not sovereign, where he has no authority, then the state does, and the individual does. And, of course, they believe then they have the right to take life of anyone for any reason they deem worthy. And so you have a state of ISIS 
that when the Supreme Court handed their decision down, took six gay men on the roof and threw them off in reaction to it. Killed them. Because they deemed them unworthy. But God says everyone was made in the image of God. It's true for the individuals that were killed in Charleston, South Carolina. A man walked in and deemed they were unworthy. Proverbs 8, verses 35 through 36. For whoever finds me a life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who falls, fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Now let's get personal. Can I do that? Even though you don't say yes, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and please take this for what it is. You know, I love the church. I love people. I hate to see what sin does to individuals. But let's look at ourselves as a nation for a moment. And let's talk about abortion. Some say it's a political issue. It's a theological issue. Let's be clear about that. Does it have political implications? Yes. But let me encourage you to hear what God says. In this whole command, no murder is abortion murder. See, the issue is not choice. The issue is murder. It's pro-life or pro-death. When does life begin? All the evidence is in. We have all the scientific reality that we need. It is why most abortion clinics do not do ultrasounds because it impacts some other decision if they do an ultrasound and see the actual live child before they have the abortion. Jesus came to earth how? Came as a baby. What did Herod attempt to do when he found that out? Attempt to murder all the babies. Remember the four men, 127 million deaths? Since Roe versus Wade, it's been 50 to 55 million children murdered in America. And just because it's legal does not make it right. And just because we have all this grace language that says, well, if they'd be here today, it would increase poverty rolls, it would increase back alley abortion clinics, at least they're going to heaven. All that kind of spin doesn't matter. 17% of the population of America has been murdered by their own hands. Right now, if a terrorist organization killed 55 million people in America, we would have a problem with that. But we've taken the authority of God and we moved it to the state. And we moved it to the individuals who say, this one is worth living and this one is not. So the confession we have to acknowledge this morning, all this violence going on, it's just, do we understand that we live in a murderous culture? And once you devalue life, it devalues in multiple levels. People can say, well, I choose this. And they walk into a church and take lives. Once you devalue life, cancer spreads on multiple levels. So why are we surprised at the recent moral decisions? Listen to what the Old Testament says about child murder. Jeremiah 7, verse 31. And they have built high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Himmon. The word Hinnom is the word we get Gehenna from. 
Gehenna is what Jesus refers to as hell. He chose a specific landmark that Israel knew about. And listen to what they did in this valley of Hinnon. To burn their sons and daughters in the fire. And listen to what God says. Which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. God did not even think about how anyone could be so evil. And we use this empty phrase so often. God bless America. You want God to bless America? What America needs. And I know the argument that we go back in the 60s, they took Bible reading and prayer out of the schools. And I say as long as there was Christians in the schools, they couldn't stop us from praying. They couldn't stop us from reading Scripture. We've stopped it in our homes and in our churches. What America needs is the church to start being the church. Now, I'm not talking about Sunday morning programs. What I'm talking about is humbly bowing our knees to the audience of one and getting the first command right, that we become a church of truth and grace. But see, the problem here is this. Some churches become all truth. When they become all truth, they're ungracious, they're mean, they start stoning people. They do the very things we don't like when they, people do it to us. We start calling them names, we start casting, and we just really want to get rid of them. All grace, well, we don't want to say anything that will offend people. So we go along with the PC litany of our day. We really want people to like us. I got news The goal of the church is not for people to like us. The goal of the church is to help people fall in love with Jesus. And people are drowning. Think about this analogy. Because I think we split the parameters and we either are all truth, all grace, and we don't get the whole grace and truth together. While people are drowning, the church decides to throw rocks. If they're a truth-based church, they try to hit them in the water. Because they want to take them out. If they're grace, they throw the rock, not to hit the person, but when it splashes in the water, they say, well, grab onto the rock. Well, it does nothing to save them, does it? It takes them down. Now, I realized this morning that some of you may be uncomfortable because I covered a lot of different topics, and especially covering abortion. And some may be sitting there saying, I need to get out of here now. But I want to encourage you that this message was not meant to be a brutal beating. But I want you to think about the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus was murdered so that murderers like us can be forgiven. Now, I use the word murderers like us. Because dealing with this commandment, we've got to listen to what Jesus says. In Matthew 5, 21 through 22, just in case you're excusing yourself this morning, saying, well, you know, I've never killed anybody accidentally. I never murdered anybody. never had an abortion. Jesus had this unique way of offending our version of life. And here's what he says. You've heard that it was said that those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. And there he's talking about premeditated, taking a life, You know, classic judicial definition of murder. 
So all these Pharisees were excusing themselves, and they excused themselves literally when they murdered Jesus because they got the Roman government to do it for them. They found a legal way around their theological problem. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hellfire. Here's what he's saying. You don't have to physically take a life to murder someone. You can murder their reputation. You can murder their character. You can murder their integrity. And it doesn't say, well, if it's true, you're allowed to murder them. But isn't that what we do with certain sins? And here's what Jesus is saying. We all have murderous hearts. And sometimes we use our words. Don't hear a lot about gossip, but in in Proverbs where it talks about the seven things the Lord hates, three have to do with our tongue. I mean, gossip murders people. And what he's trying to say is this. We all need Jesus. We all come to the cross. We are equal in our sin. We are equal in sin equals death. We are equal in our need of a Savior. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot maintain ourselves. We all need the breath of the Holy Spirit to breathe into our sails to sail through this life. In the midst of his own murder, what does he say? Father, forgive them for they do not understand what they do. So my goal today is not to beat people up. Word of God does that enough. (laughs) You don't need it from me. But my goal today is to realize that we all need Christ. And the goal for the church is to become more loving, more truthful, more gracious. That we do not want to be a people of violence. And we do not play God. By playing God, I mean we don't declare that this life is a value and this one's not. We do not do that. We are people not of violence and death, but we are people of grace, love, and truth. And it's why we are a community, because we sit down, we pray together, we study together, we talk together. Because every situation we face, we need to understand what God is saying. And we don't do that in isolation. Rather, we confess our sin. And we don't live with our shame and guilt. Because once we confess it, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us. And if he forgives us, we have no right to look at that person and then carry that burden on our back for 10 years saying, well, I know what you did. No, we let it go. Christ's murder took, murder took care of that for us. So what's our response to what's happening around us today? Well, we got to be careful that we do not murder in word or in deed. We don't get caught up in the whole vicious backlash and argument. And I really don't know what's going to be around the corner for the church. I think I can speak on behalf of the leadership council. That's kind of the ruling group of people that get together once a month and we try to figure out where we're navigating. I think I can speak on behalf of them that our priority will be to maintain a biblical, scriptural stance and to do that with grace and love. Now, if I'm wrong on that, they'll tell me. And I'll probably be looking for another job then because that's who I am. And I don't know what that means. 
I mean, we could face court cases. We could face imprisonment. I don't want to sit there and predict. But guess what? While everything is changing, nothing's changing. The gospel is always the gospel, and it is the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? And whatever he presents us with, as Paul says, is an opportunity to do what? To spread the gospel. So we don't focus on the circumstances. We focus on Jesus Christ and what he wants to do in the midst of our lives. So our goal is to live being Christ to people around us. Our goal is to honor God and to bring him glory. Our, our goal is to live and worship to the one and true God. Our goal is to live in awe of the one who created us in his image. Amen? I'm going to change up uh, a little bit how we're going to close this service out. There's actually two songs I really like, so I'm going to flip a coin and choose one. We're going to do a reprise. I think we're going to do a reprise of the one that this is Amazing Grace. I mean, it talks about Christ. It talks about how he died for us. It talks about how his murder took away the sin of all of us who are murderers. So if the the group can come up, they're going to lead us, and I'm going to lead you in prayer first. Let's pray. Father God, may your spirit blow fresh winds into our sails. Where you have convicted us, may we confess. We thank you in advance for forgiving us. And help us to see people as you see them. They were all made in the image to reflect your image. And that gets so distorted by our culture. We know that. Help us to live in such a way that we become light in the midst of darkness. That a powerful force, I mean, you can sit there and tell the storm to cease and it ceases. May we have enough faith just to trust you through whatever storm comes our way. May we understand the amazing grace that you put before us that it can transform the darkest night. What a privilege it is to be the church, Lord. As we leave this place, may we worship to an audience of one 24-7 every day of the week. May we yield our life in humility and bow at the foot of your cross and take hold of the opportunity that we have every single day to be Christ no matter what situation we find ourselves in. This morning I pray for clarity, Lord. If I confuse the whole issue, take away that confusion from people's minds. I pray for those that are struggling with maybe a secret sin, could be with abortion or other kinds of things. May they understand how they can be free of that this morning. And may we as a church learn to live free. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we worship.